We're back. Another awesome episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody coming your way. Today's episode, again, is brought to you by our friends out of Lynchburg, Tennessee. The iconic Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. We take Jack with us wherever we go. Duck camp, America's highways, byways, back roads, chasing ducks, chasing geese, chasing stories, chasing memories. Jack's always there for us, and they believe in our culture. They support conservation, and they're all about habitat, the animals, and we truly are humbled to be part of the Jack Daniels family out of the iconic area of Lynchburg, Tennessee. I'm joined today by somebody that might know a little bit about Jack Daniels. The, the newest member, and this is a short list, and he is going to educate us on that list today, but this is the new master distiller since October 2020, Mr. Chris Fletcher. Welcome, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Is it, is it kind of a surreal f- feeling to know that people, guys and girls that are of age listening to this podcast are going to see your signature on Jack Daniels bottles when they buy them at retail from now on? It, it is, I tell you. Uh, that, that's probably one of the most bizarre things about the whole deal uh, is is seeing your name out there. It's, um, you know, Jack has made a lot of friends all over the world, there's no doubt about it, and continues to make friends every day. And it's, it's you know, it's just such an amazing uh, brand, amazing company to work for. And there's there's so many great people here. Uh, and to, to have your name associated with it is it's very humbling. But it's one thing to have your name associated with it, but this is like literally a signature on the bottle where you're going to, they took your signature and they got it, you know, to where they can duplicate it and print it all on all of the labels. Right. It's actually going to have master distiller, Chris Fletcher with your signature on there. Kind of like this brand where you, if you read up on the the history of the brand and we're going to have you educate us some on that today, but over the last seven or eight years, I've tried to educate myself on it as much as I can. Um, it is an iconic brand. You have been entrusted in a way to fly that flag and to carry this brand forward into the future, meaning that when your name goes on those bottles as the master distiller, you're putting pretty much your stamp of approval. And Jack Daniels and all of the people, the trailblazers that came before you are saying, if Chris puts his name on it, then it's accepted by us. And that's got to be a, a, an amazing feeling. It, it is. It really is. I mean, um, you know, I couldn't be prouder to be in, in my role. And, you know, this this place, this distillery, I grew up literally three miles right down the street here. Um, you, you could walk to my parents' house from here. Heck, you could walk to my house from here uh, right now. So, you know, I, I grew up around this distillery. I grew up here in Lynchburg. Uh, my grandfather was our master distiller here for many years as well. Um, you know, I come to work every day in his office, his old office that he had, and sit at his old desk every single day. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of pride in that, you know. And there's, you know, I have to say, though, you know, I you know, I get a lot of the credit as the master distiller, but there's a great team of people here and a great team of people that have had family members before them. Uh, and I would I would be the first to tell you that it's certainly on everyone's mind here at Jack Daniels that, you know, we, we're carrying the flag for a few years, for our 20, 30, however many years we're lucky enough to be here, and we're going to be passing it down to that next generation too. And so when when you think about master distiller, director of quality, you know, all of my roles here, the hats that I wear at the distillery, um, when you think about that and what it means to the families of Lynchburg, th- that's the ultimate quality control in so many ways. When Do you think that 
you know, you mentioned your grandpa. He was a master distiller here. Mm-hmm. You're educated in whiskey. Did you know it growing up that that was your goal? Like we all get asked that question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Did somebody ask Chris Fletcher that and have you say, I want to be the master distiller at Jack Daniels someday? No, I didn't. It didn't quite work that way. Um, I was around the distillery with my granddad, but he retired when I was eight years old. So, you know, there was that time between I was eight and I started working here part-time when I was 19. Um, and so really for those, you know, several years there, I didn't really come around the distillery much at all. I mean, I drove past it every day, you know, going to school or whatever. And, um, but I, you know, you don't really understand when you're eight years old, you know, that your grandfather was a master distiller at Jack Daniels. You don't really know what a master distiller is. I mean, really at eight years old, you don't even really know what whiskey is. Right. And so I hope not. Yeah, no, <laughs> you hope not. <laughs> I didn't, you know, my time around here, you know, I wanted to go play on the old fire trucks that, that are up there and go down to the, to the mill where you could catch some spent grain and, and try to feed it to the ducks down there in the pond or something. You know, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to run around outside and play. Um, you know, my granddad would go inside. He'd have to get things going, I guess. Um, it's a lot of times on Sunday afternoons that I could tag along with him and he'd be working on something. And, you know, I, I was in the still house, you know, I can remember, you know, everything just looks so big, you know, as a, as a young kid, you know, everything's tall and the, you know, the fermenters and, and the floors were just metal grates at the time. So you could see all the way down to the floor below you. And, you know, I can remember that and the smells and the heat. Um, so it was, you know, it was one of those things that really though was time spent with my granddad, you know, and, and being able to, to just be with him and I can remember driving in and we'd pull him in his truck and you know the security guard we wouldn't even stop you know just kind of wave and just keep on going and it was just it was just one of those things that um maybe you, you don't think much about it as a kid but as you get older you, you appreciate it a lot when did you first notice that you had an appreciation for whiskey and more specifically, this brand of Jack Daniels. Was it in high school? Was it when you're getting ready to graduate high school, somewhere in the 18, 20-year-old range? Yeah, I think it was It was more so in college, you know, because then, you know, growing up here in Lynchburg, you know, Lynchburg's proper population, what, 600 or so, something like that, county-wide, 6,000. So, you know, almost everyone has a connection at the distillery when you're in high school. And it's, you know, most people's families – you know, you've got an aunt and uncle, a parent, a grandparent that's worked here. And so it wasn't until I went to college and then you start, you know, meeting people from, you know, around the state, you know, around the country. And they all know about Jack Daniels and, oh, you're from Lynchburg and they know about Jack. And so you start to then figure out what the brand is um, and, and start to appreciate the fact that, you know, like I said earlier, you know, Jack's made friends all around the world. And so that's when I thought, well, wow, that that's a really, you know, great company i mean it's a really great brand and then you start to dive into the details of whiskey from there and i was studying chemistry and so just kind of fortunately you know a little bit hand in glove there and of course i have my granddad as who's you know as far as a resource as a whiskey maker it couldn't have been anyone any better no doubt is it an acquired taste at this time in your life to where you're a fan of it do you start to appreciate 
a good whiskey, a good Tennessee whiskey? Mm-hmm. Do you, I, I don't know like what, how, I don't need to know how old you were when you first tasted whiskey, but do you have an appreciation for quality of, in, in the taste and the flavor of Jack Daniels at that time when you're studying chemistry and kind of start getting that mindset of maybe potentially working in the industry? You know, not really at that time. Um, so my first job here was as a tour guide. So I came home after my sophomore year of college. I was studying chemistry. Honestly, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I started in chemistry. I just enjoyed science. You know, chemistry was interesting. You know, you really felt like when you're walking out of, you know, chemistry lab, you had done something right with your hands and you, you know, something it either worked or it didn't work. But at least, you know, if it did work, you really felt like you learned something new that day. And, you know, that's what kind of drew me into chemistry to start with. And then, you know, kind of finding out from my granddad, who also studied chemistry, you know, um, when he was going to school and, and, and learn how much of the science is in the process. Because as a tour guide, you know, you start to learn the process and kind of, you know, what happens, corn, rye, barley, water, you know, and how it flows through. And then, of course, with my granddad, you know, it was kind of like you had the, the, the technical resource at home to, you know, behind that to ask him all the little, you know, geeky questions about what's what's really going on in the details of it. And so, you know, I, I kind of had that, you know, you know, private tutor, so to speak, um, for, for for learning the science behind the process and why they do it the way you do it. Um, but I can remember, um, you know, being around that age, around that college age, you know, I didn't know whiskey, what was good whiskey, what was not good or, you know. And I can remember asking him one day, like, well, I know there's, you know, really expensive whiskeys globally, right, that are made all over the world and, you know, really, you know, hundreds of dollars a bottle and all this. And I said, well, you know, but what really, so what's really the best then? You know, what's what's the gold standard? What's the benchmark? And he just kind of stopped and he looked at me. And he said, Jack Daniels. Like, how dumb of a question was that? And I thought, oh, okay, well, well all right. So, you know, it's kind of like shut up and listen and, and, and just keep learning about the process and why we do it the way we do it. And, you know, I think that was really the part to where I thought I've got to dive into this process and, and learn what's behind it. And, you know, the more that I've done that and now that I've been, you know, 18 years removed um, from when I started kind of full-time with the company, you know, here I am and I've seen processes in a lot of distilleries all over the world. And really I understand exactly where, where that came from. If you look at what we are capable of, what we do and what our process entails, um, it really, it really sets the standard. Now that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's favorite whiskey is going to be Jack Daniels, right? Um, you know, I don't mean that. Um, but I do mean, I, I have never seen another process start to finish with, you know, the quality of the grain, the quality of the water, the way that we are mashing naturally everything, the way we're souring everything naturally, very, very traditionally, um, the way we're culturing two different, we're culturing a bacteria culture, a lactobacillus culture, and a yeast culture um, for our mashing process, or natural souring with the with the bacteria, and then fermenting then after that with the yeast, um, distilling that in 100% copper, you know, charcoal meddling, making our own charcoal up here by hand, you know, making our own barrels, uh, you know, start to finish our process. I mean, it is as, as bulletproof as I, I've ever seen in the industry. And so that's where you start to really appreciate what we do. When you mentioned a couple minutes ago, Chris, about 
you know, there are bottles of whiskey out there that are more expensive than a bottle of Jack Daniels. There's whiskey out there that might be comparable in price, might be alongside Jack Daniels on a retailer shelf. A brand kind of runs the risk of um, there's a mindset out there. And I've talked to, with other people on, in other sectors of brands. Um, let's take salsa, for example. You know, like, well, I make the best salsa in the world. It's made in my kitchen with my garden vegetables right. and everybody in my neighborhood loves it. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that paste picante sauce isn't good because they had to be good at, at one time to to have a lot of people go, well, that's good sauce we're going to go worldwide with this or we're going to start regionally and then go nationally and then go worldwide. Like the mindset's always that, Oh, my craft beer is better than Bud Light. Well, really? Because Bud Light's drinking by millions and millions of people. And if people educated themselves on the process of what they did, I'm sure they'd be like, wow, that really is a custom beer. Then with Jack Daniels, the biggest whiskey, 170 countries it's sold in the label, the brand, the logo is world renowned. I mean, everybody knows what that logo is. The old number seven, you run the risk of somebody going, well, that's just a mass produce. You know, they don't have any pride in that. And when you come here and you educate yourself or just take the tour, come to Lynchburg and meet the people. One of the main goals of that part of this business with Jack Daniels is to educate people like, hey, this is like what you're saying. I mean, from the beginning to the end, from A to Z, this process is, is truly amazing when the final product is what most people really, you know, count their chickens on. Like, yeah, that's a bottle of Jack Daniels, but they really don't know what went into that bottle of Jack Daniels. Yes. I, I, most people are blown away. First of all, you know, you, you think about it, it's, it's single source, you know, it's coming from Lynchburg. Every drop is distilled. Everything is made right here on site, you know, as it's been since the 1800s. Um, you know, the, the, the people, the whiskey makers behind it, you know, it's the families of Lynchburg. You know, that's what I tell so many people. You, you want to talk about kind of the, the secret sauce. You know, to me, it's the people of Lynchburg. Um, you know, there are, you know, so many whiskey makers here that are just following, you know, the torch that was lit by people before them, like my grandfather and so many other people that would have that same story. Um, but yes, you know, long story short, when you look at, at kind of how we do things, how we control things, we want to have our hands on every single ingredient, everything, every part of the process, anything that's going to affect the final flavor, color, and aroma of our whiskey. We want our own whiskey makers involved there, right, and controlling it. And so that's why we have a full-time microbiologist that's, you know, right now in our lab, we have our, you know, production yeast strain growing from the mother culture that we can trace the lineage of that actual strain of yeast back to prohibition uh, here when the, when the distillery started back in 1938. Um, we, we think it probably even goes back farther than that. We just don't have any way to prove it. There were no records um, left from before prohibition. So, um, you know, all of those things, um, insisting on copper stills, 10 feet of charcoal for mellowing, um, you know, making our own charcoal by hand. We have our own our own folks up here at the Rickyard, their, their job is to take the hard maple, burn it down into black lump charcoal, right? It's not charred maple wood. This is this is hard coal. So this, this filtration process is a removal process. It's not adding color or flavor to the whiskey. It's actually softening and, and stripping things out, like the heavy corn notes, the oily, grainy character that whiskey gets right after it's distilled from from the grains that it's made from, um, you know, insisting on doing all those things the same way that they've been done for over 150 years. When people come and they see it, um, they're pretty blown away and to think that we would still be doing it that way. And we are successful, right? And so we, we, we've got a brand that 
what you're kind of saying, a bit of a double-edged sword. Because of the success we have, sometimes that creates some doubt or some cynicism within the market. And people will, you know, would just assume that if there's a corner to be cut, right, not, not using a copper steel anymore, using stainless steel, right, going to save a lot of pennies here. Right? That's going to save some money. But we don't feel like the quality and the consistency of the whiskey would be what it should be uh, by making that change. And it's not to say that, you know, other folks that have made those decisions are, are doing anything bad. It's just not what we believe in doing here in Lynchburg. But you come here, you walk through our still house on our tour, and you see every single still lined up there, 100% copper, right? So little things like that, and it all adds up, you know, to what goes into that bottle is old number seven. Old number seven, easily the most recognizable liquor. Budweiser is pretty recognizable. But old number seven has got to be right there as far as – I mean, I think the guy that uh, was master distiller before you, Mr. Jeff Arnett, told me that it's the most tattooed brand in the history of the world. That's saying a lot, right? I, I think is. the only way that they could probably get that number would be to maybe take a consensus from tattoo shops and tattoo artists across the world. Like what's the the, the brand that you've tattooed on people the most? And, right. Um, but your grandpa retires when you're eight years old. I assume you're in what your mid thirties right now. Thirty nine. You're thirty nine. So soon, thirty soon Thirty one years ago. Thirty one years ago. Would you guarantee that if we open that bottle of old number seven, that it would taste the exact same as when your dad, when your granddaddy had his signature on the bottle? I, I think it would be pretty darn close. Uh, you know, exact same. That, that that's hard no matter what you're trying to do um but it would be close and we've done that and jeff and i you know we we had come across a bottle and i've been gifted a couple of bottles as well um from back there in the time when my granddad had made it um and it is amazing at how close because even in the bottle you're gonna have a little bit of oxidation from the air that's in there so that the whiskey is going to i, I call it just kind of calming down um it'll soften some people say it'll get smoother uh, I don't know that I would go that far. Um, maybe it, it gives you kind of the impression of a little more sweetness um, just because I think the alcohol will kind of settle. It'll kind of calm. And, and I think what happens is, you know, the cork or even this, um, you know, just the regular cap here with the seal, it's not going to be perfect forever. So you could, you could get just a small amount of air getting in. And then so that is going to start to affect things, especially, you know, after 30 years in a bottle, you're going to have a little shift. But it would be... I think it would be remarkable how similar that similar they are. Because the recipe is the exact same, right? It is. It is. It is. So, But you think about the challenges that, that, that kind of we look at from the distillery side, though, is you're taking in each year depending on, you know, the, the corn crop, right, which is massive. We're 80% corn for old number seven. Um, you know, if you have a really, really bad dry – you know, summer, you know, across, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, where we're, you know, Alabama, where we're pulling kind of most of our corn from, you know, you're going to have to make maybe some compensation for that in the process. So, you know, there's so many things that we've done and seen and had to do over the years to keep the consistency of the, the product the same, right? When you're, when you're taking corn, rye, barley, water, right? And you're going to throw some yeast in there, right, to ferment it. And then you're going to distill it, and then you're going to throw it into an oak barrel, right? So then you got corn, rye, barley, water, oak. That's it, right? And, and you can count the yeast. So 
it's an all natural process. You know, it's all agriculture basically at that point. Um, and so, you know, naturally you're going to have ebbs and flows. I mean, even with, with the wood, with the oak wood and sourcing the logs, coming through our stave mills and things and the consistency on that, you know, there's ebbs and flows on that and how the market moves. We're such a small part of the hardwood industry. I mean, I, we're not even like a half a percent um, of of the American hardwood harvest. You know, people think about all the barrels that we have, and we, we do have a lot of barrels. But when you look at what, you know, that kind of North American hardwood harvest is, we are at the mercy of, you know, things, construction, you know, hardwood flooring, furniture making, all those industries that are much larger. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that, which, again, when you have the advantage of having our own employees involved at each of those parts, you know, through that supply chain, that that's where it, it really adds up to, yeah, we, you know, we make the best daggum whiskey in the world here. I couldn't agree more. What is a distiller? And a distillery. What it would be an Oxford Dictionary definition of a distillery? Is it just where whiskey is made? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a, a distiller or what we call it a master distiller. You know, to be to be fully transparent, when my granddad was working here, nobody called him master distiller. So, you know, that's really a term that's been you know, kind of romanticized a little more over the last 20, 30 years. Um, you know, head distiller, distillery manager, you know, um, a lot of, maybe a lot of other things I don't know that may have been, been used. But, you know, master distiller today, honestly, is really a quality control position. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, you know, I may be here talking with you for a couple of hours or I may be tasting barrels or, you know, we may be working on, planting a bunch of corn over here you know it, it literally every day is something different as to where when you look back at my granddad's time i mean it was all about you we only did one thing right we made old number seven every day we, we made old number seven and he i could remember him saying you know it was like you had a recipe to bake a cake every day you followed that recipe you didn't deviate you didn't i mean nothing was different you tried to just recreate every single day this is what we're going to do guys and so that's what they did um and thank goodness they were as good at it as they were because we, we owe those fellows a lot so a distiller is quality control a distillery is where they make whiskey mm -hmm. but you also brought up again old number seven i don't know if there's a, a a true meaning of why it's on there but when i played baseball i had number seven on every jersey from little league to college um it was my lucky number mm -hmm. I don't know anything else. I talked to Mr. Kevin, but Mr. Kevin deferred to you, which oh. that guy's amazing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> that guy is amazing, right? Like truly a, a, a treasure there. But do you? What's your stance on it, or your take on the old number seven? Well, I, I can tell you my granddad's story, uh, and I feel like you know he he probably has he definitely has a better story than anything I could come up with. But you know, if you heard about the trains, that that's that was my granddad's belief i mean he would tell you if he were here with us today you know so my granddad started working here in 1957 on, on january 2nd 1957 he was hired by one of the motlow brothers uh and, and mr regger motlow um who offered him a job one day my granddad was working in his father's grocery store down here in elm square the, which was then later the lynchburg grocery so you know he grew up working in that store as a kid and, and knowing everyone certainly the motlow family very well and so he started working up here in the 50s for the Motlow family. Family, And he asked, he said, one day I just asked 
Mr. Reger said, Mr. Reger, you know, what is the deal with the number seven, right? And this would have been late 50s or early 60s. And he says that the story that he was told by the family was that back in Jack's day, first of all, Jack was very famous for not wanting to put whiskey in a bottle. He thought glass bottles were, you know, frivolous, you know, weren't needed. And everybody got a whole barrel. You know, if you owned a bar, a saloon somewhere, you ordered Jack Daniels, you got a whole barrel of Jack Daniels. And so there was a bar in Oklahoma that had placed an order for a barrel of his whiskey. So they had sent the barrel up to Nashville, put it on a train. It would go to Nashville to St. Louis. In St. Louis, it would have to change trains, right? They would have to unload it and then place it back on the number seven train that went west from St. Louis to Oklahoma. Something happened during the transition, and it missed its connection. So the bartender was a little frustrated, and so he... He sends a, a letter or a note back to Jack saying, I've never gotten your barrel of whiskey. You know, what's the deal? And Jack apologizes and says, I'm going to send you a second barrel for free. Okay, don't worry about it. This one's on me. So, again, the second barrel goes to Nashville, gets on the train to St. Louis, has to then get on that number seven train, right, make that transfer on out to Oklahoma. So the railroad workers, if you think about a barrel of whiskey, they all look the same, right, unless you read the fine print on the head that says, you know, Jack Daniel Distillery, Lynchburg, Tennessee, and so those those workers for the railroad, when they unloaded this barrel, the light bulb kind of went off in their head. Wait a second. We had a barrel just like this a few weeks ago. And they go digging around in their warehouse, and they found it, right? And so now they have these two barrels, Jack Daniels whiskey from Lynchburg, Tennessee. They're both marked with a big seven because they have to get on that number seven train. And so how do they make them different? Well, this one was the old one. And this one is the new one. I just wrote it right there on the barrel. And both barrels then go to the bar. And so a few weeks later, the bartender writes another letter back to Jack. says, I got your whiskey. In fact, I want to place an order for a third barrel. But from now on, only send me old number seven barrels because they're the best. It's better than the new number seven barrel. So Jack said, hey, if that's the best, I'll make it all old number seven. Wow. Yeah, that's Papa's story there. (laughs) <laughs> and he heard that from a, a pretty good source. Yeah, from Mr. Regger Motlow. Yeah, that would be a very good source. So, and yeah. the Motlows were the family that Jack left the distillery to mm-hmm. when Jack passed away, yeah. which was around 1911. You got it. Yep. 1911. 1911. From a story of coming into work early in the dark yeah. and trying to get into the safe, from what I've been told, and kicking the safe, yep. developing gangrene and a broken toe. Mm-hmm. And sooner or later, it got him with amputations and then taking his life. That's right. Yeah. His official, official cause of death was blood poisoning. Blood um, poisoning. It was just it was a couple of years after he had kicked that safe. But, you know, the story goes, you know, he had come into work and was the first person there, and he was going to go ahead and open the safe. And, um, and we still have it right over there in the old office and— um, for whatever reason, it didn't open, and it is difficult. Though. We can open it. We do have the combination, but it is very peculiar. You have to do it perfectly, or it will not engage and, and unlock. And so for, I guess, that reason, it didn't open for him that morning, and he got mad. He kicked it. Um, it broke his toe, and he, he, did not, he didn't seek any medical attention or anything for months. And the toe, it never quite healed. You know, I guess there was an open wound to it. That wound became infected. And once he realized now that that infection was starting to spread up into his foot, that's when he kind of got nervous and said, well, I need to go to the doctor. And, of course, he went through a series of amputations, but finally in 1911 is when he passed. Uh, He died in uh, blood poisoning. 
um, was the official cause of death. Of course, 1911, the state of Tennessee had already entered Prohibition. We were, we were actually a little ahead of the game there. We were in Prohibition a couple years before uh, the rest of the federal government had declared it. Um, and so he had, he had deeded the distillery to two of his nephews because he didn't have any children of his own, um, Mr. Dick Daniel and then uh, Mr. Lynn Motlow, one of his sister's kids. And Mr. Daniel thought, well, you know, whiskey's illegal. You know, it's not profitable to never make any money out of a distillery. So he sold his half to Mr. Motlow for $500, uh, which was not a very good decision in (laughs) retrospect, but who knew? So then truth be told, Jack Daniel, the name Daniel hasn't really been on the distillery since... Night, since Dick sold his shares to Marlowe and for five hundred bucks, or has there been other family members in the with the last name Daniel that were were there family members that were pat, that generational that still worked in the distillery at all? Not that I'm aware of with the name Daniel, and in fact, even the Motlows. Um, so um, there were four brothers and a sister um, of the Motlow family um, that were all Lim Motlow's children. Who was Lim was the the nephew that inherited it from Jack, and then he died in 1947, I believe it was 47. He passed away, um, and then of course he had his four sons and the daughter. Um, then then would have inherited it, um, and it was really two of the brothers that were really hands on with the distillery um, operationally. Um, the the other you know siblings were involved a bit. Um, I mean, Lynchburg's a pretty small place. You know, everybody's affected by the distillery. Um, But they ran it until 1956, which is when they then sold it to the Brown family in Louisville, Kentucky. And we're still part of, you know, the Brown Foreman Corporation today based in Louisville. Is there any story behind um, any potential name changing when Jack's passing it down? I mean, the the Marlowe family could have very easily changed the name of it because it was such a young distillery. Yeah. And they could have, it could have, that name Jack Daniels could have been taken off of there in a hurry, right? With the Daniel family not even being a part of it anymore. Is there any, is there any like truth to that or rumor of that at all? Well, for whatever reason, I, you know, they had a lot of respect for their uncle Jack and their uncle Jack's process. Um, And of course they would have known. Jack, you know, certainly were, were in in business with them. You know, Lim Motlow was really kind of Jack's uh, right hand man and and kind of the the business keeper, right? The accountant and kept the records and everything. He was never a distiller per se. He had a brother whose name was Jess Motlow, who was really a whis- whiskey maker, right? And so, um, y- you know, I I think that through all that prohibition time. Um, you know, they did a lot of things. They, they tried to move whiskey around. They moved some whiskey down to Alabama and Birmingham. They moved some whiskey to St. Louis as well um, because, you know, those states hadn't gone dry yet. And then, of course, finally, 1913, the federal government does away with it. You know, again, for the next 20 years, we go into federal prohibition. Um, and so it eventually ran out on them. But when they started back, they did use the Motlow name for some whiskey. Now, they would they would sell it. Um, a very young, like a one or two year old whiskey, um, but they didn't feel like that had the quality for for flavor and color. And obviously, it would have been a lot lighter because all that color is coming from the wood of the barrel, and it just takes time to get there. Um, so what you're seeing here is you know anywhere from four to seven years old to get that kind of color on there. And so there was a Motlow uh, Tennessee whiskey that we sold that was only like a one to two year old product, and then we also did actually quite a bit of corn whiskey. 
back in the day. They did an old corn whiskey that was that was branded as Topaz corn whiskey um, in the 40s and 50s um, that they had they had done as well, keeping the Jack Daniels logo off of it. And so it, it's interesting. It's an interesting point. Now, I've never I don't think I've ever been asked that actually in my in my 18 20 years with the company now. Um, but it is a really interesting thing to sit back and to think about how you know they felt like maybe somewhat of an inferior product would carry their name but once once it hit the point to where they felt like okay now we can put uncle jack's name back on the bottle you know it took a little more so that's a that's a really interesting point that you just make yeah i just was thinking like how could you know just like the way that the human psyche works is kind of like hey you know it's people will never know this has to have our name on it but when you think about that name and how many times it's mentioned in a day, and I don't know if there's ever been a study done, but I'm okay, let's say pre-COVID, 170 countries, I believe is the number, something like 170 countries sell Jack Daniels. I didn't even know there was 170 countries in the world, I'm being honest, I really didn't <laughs> know that. But <clears throat> the, the, the recognition of that name has has to be something that when you come to work now is there pressure on you like you you seem like a really laid back low key well spoken kind of guy family man just had your first baby born and raised in Lynchburg Tennessee which is probably one of the most kicked back areas I've ever been to in the continental United States I mean it's more kicked back than a lot of places in Italy I've been and it's pretty kicked back over there um but is there pressure on you right now? Like to perform? Do you, are you, do you feel it? Like, man, I got to do it because you're a young man. Like, are you the youngest in history to, to have this? And I know that you say master distiller is just quality control, but still it is easily one of the top positions in the entire industry of spirits for sure. The Jack Daniels master distiller. So first of all, congratulations, but are you feeling it? Is there some, are you psyching yourself out at all to perform or is there some pressure? I mean, I think what pressure is there is what drives you. You know, I think it gets back to the pride of what we do. Um, you know, you talk about Lynchburg here and how, you know, it's it's very laid back. It's a small town. We have a distillery. We've got a lot of farms. Uh, we've got a little town. We don't have any shopping malls. We don't have any super centers or anything like that. We've got one stoplight in the whole county. Um, but we're really darn good at doing one thing, and that's making whiskey. And the thing about it is, you know, as, yes, the master distiller and overseeing the quality and the production of our whiskey, that is my number one priority, right? Even though, you know, I get to do fun stuff like, you know, be here with you for a few minutes and talk about what we do. My number one priority is putting quality product whiskey in the bottle every day. And the thing is, we've got so many other great people that I know are out there right now, even though we're not over in the still house right now we got some great distillers that are over there right now making some great whiskey. Um, and we got some great coopers down the road here in uh, Trinity, Alabama, making great barrels for us, right, that are going to be coming up here in a trailer tomorrow morning, right? So that 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 puts me at ease a lot. Um, but the, the pressure is a good thing. And, and the great thing about it is with, with American Whiskey now, so many people are wanting to try different things. You know, we're, start, we're, we're growing our own corn here. You know, we're, we're, you know, experimenting with barrels and different types of barrels. And we're, we're doing all these things that, honestly, in my granddad's time, he would have never even been able to dream about it, right? Because they couldn't even keep up with old number seven. Old number seven was still on an allocation system, only sold in the U.S., only sold in one country until the mid-1980s. We finally started to export. We finally caught up, right? 
And so we went from, you know, the mid-80s, one country, to now 170. So, you know, you think about it, and, and people, they don't realize, you know, if you walk into a bar in Chicago and – 1978 and ordered a Jack Daniels. There's a good chance that person behind the bar is like, been trying to order a bottle or two for a month. And, you know, my sales guy, you know, he says he might be able to get me some, you know, next quarter, maybe, you know, if, if there's enough to go around. Because literally every single salesperson we have across, across the U.S. at that time was basically just an order taker because we only had so much whiskey to sell. We could not keep up with demand until the mid '80s. So, um, you know, all of those things just kind of add up to where to where we're at now. And it's you know, it's an amazing thing. It's amazing to look at the work that you know the generation prior to us did. You know, my granddad. You know, Mr. Jimmy Bedford. You mentioned Jeff Arnett, who I worked for for years here. Uh, I've learned so much from as well. Um, you know, we we don't take that lightly right now and look at the work that they did. We want to keep pushing it and carrying it forward and and you know upholding the work that they did as best we can um you, you did ask me about kind of my age and being the youngest distiller I, i'm not the youngest distiller so my granddad he was 38 years old when he became master distiller so he beat me by a year by one so, year yeah so so that's almost 80 years of of uh 80 years together you guys were the the master stealer like but you were you were both bef- not even 40 yet before you turn master distiller like mm-hmm. that just seems young to me it's almost like being a 40 year old baseball manager in the major leagues right <laughs> right and how many years did your grandpa uh how about how many years was he the master distiller he was the distiller for about th- what till 1989 so 23 years all, all in all, he was here about 32 years. Yeah, he was here about nine years before he became distiller. Nine years. And, yeah, the last 23 years as master. Y'all got a lot of history together because you've been here a good bit now, too, since, uh-huh. since you were 19. Yeah, I started here when I was 19. Uh, part, that was part-time. I was still in college and then started full-time with the company in 2003. Um, but I actually moved to Louisville, Kentucky, to our company headquarters there and, and worked as a chemist in our R&D lab. Um, so I worked, you know, heavily with Jack Daniels. Obviously, we are the largest brand within the company, and then also the Kentucky whiskeys, you know, that we operate there out of out of Louisville. Um, also, you know, was able to learn about Canadian whiskey production, and even worked on some projects in Mexico, making tequila for a couple of years. And um, you know, it was really R and D was a great place to start my career because you know, you could touch any process at any given moment, right? And it was really, really interesting to learn about barrel making and tequila production, you know, all these things that really rounded me out a lot more um, than what I think I would have gotten had I just kind of stayed this course the whole time. You mentioned Trinity. The word cooperage is not something that most Americans have probably heard in their lifetime. I don't think I've heard it, but maybe five times, and I'm in my mid-40s, so like I don't hear that word a lot. I got to visit Trinity yesterday. I guarantee, I would, or at least I would assume your grandpa's mind would be blown if he saw those robots in the, the technology, in the, in the barrel-making process, the, 
the robot arm that takes the barrel lid, the head, the barrel head and dips it in the wax. And I mean, just amazing things that I learned yesterday and the importance of that barrel, um, the Sinatra barrel, the, the different barrels, the woods that go into it, the rings, everything that, that is going into the barrel making process. And then the quality control of getting stamped to where there's no pressure leakage, no air leakage, no chance of whiskey leaking out of it. Um, and how that barrel is made and born and then travels from at Trinity, Alabama up to Lynchburg, Tennessee to be filled with whiskey, that process and the confidence that you have in that, what, what is it that, is that one of the biggest reasons that Jack Daniels sets itself apart? One of the biggest ways that it sets itself apart it against is. other whiskeys out there? Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, if you just to, to boil it down, to distill it down, we'll say, um, if you think about the barrel itself, so all that color is natural, right? There's no, nothing added there. Maybe the single barrel would be a little better bottle to hold up. You can see the color a lot better. But there's there's no artificial coloring added there. It's all coming from the wood itself. That is dissolved barrel that's created that nice, rich amber color. And, of course, you're going to get a lot of the sweet caramel, vanilla flavors that are coming from that as well. So over half of the flavor of what goes into the bottle is barrel. You know, half of the flavor. Yeah, over half, I would say. Um, you know, some people would say 70, 80 percent. Yeah, I don't know, but I'll tell you, it's over half. And, you know, the thing is about the barrel, when you when you think about that and you think about, you know, what we do to control not only the construction of that barrel to make a barrel that is going to hold liquid, um, but also to make the barrel that's going to impart the right flavor and the right color to our whiskey over those years as it ages you know, there's a lot that goes into that, right? I mean, we're, we're toasting the, the interior, right? Slowly heating that up to start to break down the, the tannins, the lignans, you know, the semi the hemicellulose, excuse me. That's going to start to, to kind of pull those sugars to the surface of the wood and they're going to give you that depth of flavor and depth of color that we want. And then after we toast the inside of that, we're going to char the inside of it, obviously, with the flame for about 25 seconds, which is going to, it is going to destroy some of that toasted layer right because the char itself is not going to add flavor but the toasted layer that's then right behind the char is where that whiskey is going to soak in through the pores that have been charred and then absorb all that kind of rich sweetness that we got from the toast and so you know the way we do that is unlike any other barrel maker out there we actually have a patent on how we toast our barrels right and so it's we we truly believe in the impact and what that does to our whiskey. And that, that's why we do it the way we do it. And the, tell me the process length or the barrels made yesterday. Mm -hmm. When will that barrel be done with its life cycle? And just with Jack Daniels, because explain to the audience, Chris, that you guys don't reuse the barrel, even though it doesn't go to waste. It's used for a lot of different things after the fact. Yeah. But that barrel is not reused or filled with another Jack Daniels whiskey, whether it's old number seven or single barrel or gentleman or whatever. Yep. How long does that barrel it live from the time it leaves, you know, that it, by the time it's put on that truck and leaves Trinity? Well, you know, the, the youngest possible would be about four years. So we don't, you know, there's nothing that's going out less than four years. Um, you know, it could go up, you know, way, way older than that. Um, on an average, though, between four and seven. Four and seven It's years. typically, you know, that's an average. I mean, we certainly have barrels much older than that. But most of the time, depending on where they're at and the flavor and the color we want to get out of it, between four and seven years before we're going to dump that barrel. You know, and then most of our barrels are going, you know, over into Scotland and Ireland and different places to, to age other spirits and things like that. 
So when that barrel lands in Lynchburg and your team of distillers starts to, is it, what's the word I use? Fill it or pour the yeah. whiskey into it. it. What mm-hmm. color is that liquid at that time? Clears water. No way. Clears water. Yep. Is it considered Everclear at that point, or what is the what would that be considered at yeah. that point? So you know that would be a neutral spirit, right? Neutral so that, spirit. that would be more like vodka. Clear as water, though, for real, huh? Yeah, yeah. So whiskey has no color. Any any distillation process should remove any color, right? And so when when you do that, you're left with different forms of alcohols. Obviously, ethanol is by far the biggest. That's beverage alcohol, right? But there's also other things in there, other types of alcohols that give flavor. There's, you know, there's acids in there. There's esters, there's aldehydes, all of these different natural organics that are made during the fermentation process that are, you know, kind of not concentrated necessarily in distillation, but because of how we want to control our still and get a certain percentage of alcohol out when we distill it, you know, that's going to kind of set our flavor of where we want our new make whiskey to be. Now, at that point, right off the still, you know, most people think of it as moonshine. You know, you mentioned like a neutral spirit. Well, this this has a lot more flavor than a neutral spirit, right? Um, and so a neutral spirit has to be distilled at 95% alcohol or higher. We can't even get anywhere near that on our stills because our stills are designed to make whiskey, right? So we're only, we're distilling to 70%, which is 140 proof. And it's that concentration of water and alcohol, right, and other natural organics that are in the whiskey that we want for consistent flavor, okay? Now, at this point, that new make whiskey will then be pumped over into holding tanks and charcoal mellowing, and it'll filter through that charcoal. So it'll go, it takes a couple of days for the whiskey to slowly drip through 10 feet of charcoal. And the charcoal, of course, is black as the shirt that you're wearing. But after it comes out of that charcoal, a couple days later, you pull a sample of it, it's still clear as water. That charcoal doesn't add anything to it. Okay, it's, it's, it's a filtration process. Now, our grain bill for the classic Jack Daniels is 80% corn, 12% malted barley, 8% rye. So that charcoal, what it's really doing is a lot of the corn oil that has a very distinct aroma and flavor, especially in bourbon whiskey. You know, and, and I'm not saying anything bad here. I got a lot of great friends that make great bourbon whiskey. Um, but there is a lot of times a considerable amount of corn flavor, cooked corn or sweet corn flavor in a lot of bourbons. But if you open a bottle of Jack Daniels, you really don't get much of that at all, which is unusual considering we're 80% corn. But the reason is, is that charcoal mellowing process. That's what it really kind of polishes. And, and corn oil can also be slightly bitter. And if you, if you read kind of the history books on the aging of, of whiskey and the aging of American whiskey, it talks about the barrel kind of removing the bitter edge of the spirit, right? Well, we, we think that the charcoal does kind of a continuation of that. It's starting to remove that bitter edge. Then once it comes through that charcoal and we add it to that barrel, the barrel is able to just fully impart flavor into it, right? So that's that's kind of the process. That's where the whiskey's going to get the flavors on that very last part of the, the color and the flavor is the very last part, which is aging in that barrel. Before I ask a, a flavor question, Chris, you mentioned proof in there. What is the equation for proof? You said 70% alcohol would be considered 100, 140 proof? That's correct. So yep. is it you just double? Yep. You double the percentage. Yes, just double the percentage. That's right. And double the percentage. Proof. Yep, and so that you know that is an old term, really only, pretty much only used in the U.S. Um, when when you get when you go over to other parts of the world, they talk in ABV, alcohol by volume, so they want the percentage. 
But the story goes that they, you know, maybe the old the old timers around here making whiskey in the hills and, and the hollers around here would would be selling their whiskey clear, right, right off the still or a barrel at that point was just a shipping container. So you didn't know necessarily if the whiskey was maybe a little watered down, right, because it was it was clear. And so what they would do is maybe pour a little bit over some gunpowder and strike a match to it. And if it did, if it burnt quick, blue flame, that was proof that you were getting whiskey, not water. And so that's where the term proof started being used. Wow, that's interesting. So it came from the mountains. Yeah. Flavor. How would you describe, if somebody said, what is what did that taste like? Nobody, you know, you're sitting at a, a table with somebody and they've never tasted Jack Daniels Sour Mesh Tennessee whiskey. What did that taste like, Chris? It's hard to ask you that question because you kind of have the insight, the inside knowledge of it. But what does it taste like? Because it's so good. The way you explain it, it's really, you know, it's not a, a, a huge list of ingredients. Pretty simple recipe, except for the, you know, the execution of that. I get that. Right. But what does it taste like? And then on the backside of your answer, tell us what sour mash means, because I don't get sour out of Jack Daniels. I get a little bit of sweet, but I just get wholesome. I get like it delivers, right? It, it does what I want it to do every single time. It doesn't bite me. Uh, it's smooth. Um, but I, I don't know if I could explain what it tastes like. Well, I, I think you're, you're already starting down the path, uh, and your description so far is spot on. I would tell you that Jack Daniels kind of classically sits in that sweet space, and it is smooth. It is not a whiskey that is going to, you know, light you up, right? Never has been. I mean, that's, we are a smooth-sipping Tennessee whiskey. Always have been, and we always will be, at least with old number seven, right? And so, you know, right away, when you talk about our recipe with 80% corn, that's going to swing us immediately kind of in that sweeter range of the bourbon whiskey world, let's say, right? Um, so the more of, of, say, rye, a lot of people use rye as that flavoring grain, and we do too, but we only use 8%, right? There, there's some distilleries that would use at least double that, maybe you know, at least triple that, which is going to affect the flavor of that new make spirit off of their still, right? And so rye, as, as you know, is a much heartier, spicier grain. So right there, right away, no matter what else they do, they're already developing more of a, a spicy, earthy, herbal type of flavor profile. So I, I would tell you, you know, to kind of start back at the beginning of your question, if I'm describing old number seven for somebody, it, it's... It's certainly on the sweet range with a little bit of an oaky finish. Not overly spicy at all. In fact, I would say the spice only comes out at the very, very end. If you're sipping it neat, you'll just catch it right in the back of the throat. Just a touch of that rye spice will pop through. But it starts to me almost fruity on the nose. You get it almost like an apple peel, a pear, or banana. Some people will even comment. Even walking through the distillery, I'll have people say, almost smells like apple juice. And really what drives that kind of fruity aroma and, and some of the flavor is the yeast. So the yeast, when it ferments and turns those those natural sugars that are in the grains into alcohol, it's also making a lot of other compounds and flavors, right? And so it really has this unique ability to create this kind of fruity smell to our whiskey. And a lot of people don't notice it unless you really sit down and lightly nose it because 
those compounds are called esters, and esters will will boil and volatilize at room temperature, right? So immediately they start to evaporate out of your glass as soon as you pour it. But if you'll very lightly nose the whiskey, you'll pick up on that kind of fruity character. And then after that, you get the classic caramel vanilla that's coming from the wood of the barrel, right? The, the barrel really takes over after you get it past the tip of the tongue. You get caramel, vanilla, maybe maybe a little bit of a brown sugar sweetness to it, and then it's going to finish with a little bit of dry oak and a little bit of spice on the back end. So kind of sweet to a little bit of an oaky finish as well. When you say that spice it. part of it, what I get on with meat is I get like a – like when you're eating a salad or if you're eating a steak that you have black pepper on and that piece of black pepper hits you right there where you get that pepper. I almost, you know, I get like this, like a pepper, not a full pepper taste, but I get that pepper spice taste on the back end. And then I, I get, um, the, what you said about that fruity up front, I think is, is dead on to it, but it's still hard to explain that, like what it tastes like, because it's just so unlike every other, you know whiskey out there and it way unlike any other bourbon out there obviously with with the process but when you say spice are you is the spice coming from the rye a hundred percent and what spice is rye going to emulate or what is it going to 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 put into that recipe to me when i say spice i lump a lot in there so that's a a good way that's a good question to ask me so i don't think about it i talk about it so much um, so spice for me in whiskey kind of is divided into two broad categories, kind of barrel spices and then kind of grain spices. And so that kind of black pepper, that peppercorn spice, that's the rye. Right? That's the rye. And so that's just that little bit of rye that will peak, and maybe not even every single time. But, you know, every now and again, as you swallow, especially, you know, with a single barrel or something like that, you'll come across individual barrels that just for whatever reason, as a single barrel, that spice seems to be elevated a little bit. That's just kind of the unique factor of of a single barrel whiskey. Um, But you do get that little bit of pepper, almost herbaceous, earthy peppercorn type of, of pop on the back of the tongue or even in the throat. Now, the the barrel spices for me um, would come typically more on your older whiskeys, whiskeys that have spent more time in the barrel, or maybe whiskeys that have stayed at a really high point in a barrel house, you know, maybe top floor or something like that, to really allow the oak to really start to work on the flavor of that whiskey a lot. And then that's where you're going to get, you know, kind of dried kind of bacon spices, almost like a like a cinnamon, baking cinnamon roll type of, you know, aroma. And you, and then, you know, beyond that, when it goes farther, you kind of get into some sweet tobacco notes, almost like, you know, pipe tobacco. And then you kind of get into the char of the barrel and even leathery, you know, kind of at the very far end of that spectrum to where something like our barrel-proof single barrel that, that's come out and has just, you know, developed this cult following um, that people love to experience Jack Daniel whiskey straight out of the barrel, no water added, you know, minimally even filtered, just straight into that bottle. It might be 137 proof or something. Um, but that's where really you're getting the full impact of that barrel and what it's done to the whiskey. The barrel proof. Mm-hmm. Amazing. One drop on your tongue, kind of maturity process, another drop, open up the, the flavor and the taste yeah. buds and everything. I've been learning how to do that and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about with the taste, the sweetness, the fruity, the spice on the back end, there's songs like Jack Daniels Kicked My Ass Again Last Night. It's the most sang about whiskey in the history of music, rock and roll, David Allen Coe, Eric Church, you name it, it's been written about, sung about. Why, though, Chris Fletcher? (laughs) Why do they always 
associate Jack Daniels with one of those rowdy nights or it, it kicked my butt again last night, meaning that <laughs> is it so good that you can't stop at one and then it gets you? Or why, well, Chris, is it like that all the time? Well, first of all, I'll say, look, you know, we, we always – you know, remind everyone, all of our friends, to always enjoy our product responsibly. For sure. Um, so um, that's always first and foremost. So we want to remind our friends to do that. Um, but our association with music, I, again, I think it's many things that kind of add up. Um, you, you walk through our old office, literally where Jack's office was when he was still here making whiskey in the 1800s, and you're going to see musical instruments in there from when he funded his own band to come into town here in Lynchburg and play concerts um, for the locals, right, for the town. Um, and so our connection goes all the way back to Jack himself. I mean, back in the mid, you know, late 1800s, he lived with a sister in a big house, had a grand piano in a huge ballroom on the second floor of their house where they would host parties and have bands come in and play live music. And, I, and so you think about literally with our founder and the founding of our brand, our association with music had already begun. Um, and then, of course, you, you throw us here in Middle Tennessee, which is pretty well known for, for the music industry. You know, our friends up in Nashville, you know, you're only an hour away. Um, so there's you know, all kinds of, you know, intertwining, I think, that just kind of goes along with it. You know, Tennessee, we you know we do music really well. We do whiskey really well, right? You know, maybe, maybe a few other things too, for sure. Um, but those are probably the two most well-known, by bar none. Um, how did it become kind of that go-to call, that go-to name in, in a song? I'm not 100% sure, but, you know, I could say, you know, thinking back over, you know, my granddad's career when he started here in 1957 and listening to him my whole life and um, thinking about how, you know, that was the time that Frank Sinatra adopted our brand and then it was the Rolling Stones and so on and so on. Eric Church today, as you mentioned. And I think there's an there's an authenticity there with our brand because, you know, it's not it's not made anywhere else. You know, it's all done right here in Lynchburg. All done the same way that it was done in nineteen fifty seven when my granddad was here. You know, I can promise you, I can look you in the eye, we make whiskey the same way my granddad made it. And we make more whiskey than he made in nineteen fifty seven. But we make it the same way. And, you know, we haven't really, we haven't gone out to seek those celebrity, you know, engagements. Or we never paid Frank Sinatra a dime. He would Wait go a out, minute, for real? Yeah. He would go out on stage, hold up a glass of Jack Daniels, call it the Nectar of the Gods. Nectar of the Gods. Yeah. And we, you know, we always had some whiskey in his airplane, you know. We, uh, he, he and our first salesman, Mr. Angelo Lucchese, who was also an Italian-American from Memphis, um, he made sure that Mr. Sinatra always had Jack Daniels whiskey at any anywhere he was going, anywhere he was traveling. Um, he had a case of Jack on that plane and where he was going. Nectar so, of the gods. Nectar of the gods. And so you know, it's that when you when you see that, when you see or hear that story, and I and I've even heard and seen recordings of Frank Jr. Tell stories of you know dad going out on stage and he was not going to go out there unless there was a a rocks glass and it had to be a heavy like cut glass like crystal rocks glass couldn't be you know a plastic cup no he had to be heavy rocks glass he had to have the three cubes two finger pour Jack Daniels and a splash of water and if he didn't have that he was not going out there on that stage and so you know that's the thing that when 
people are drawn to that. They, they know that that's not just a commercial where you've inserted, you know, celebrity endorsement X, XYZ, right? Yeah. You know, that just has a different, a whole different feel to it. And, you know, and in a lot of ways, you know, Frank Sinatra was really the first rock star, you know, almost almost literally. And then after that, you know, it just it just like it just kept snowballing into where it was, you know, Rolling Stone. Could you imagine how many businesses or entrepreneurs would die to have that free marketing? Like, you know, like if every day Jack is being mentioned by Keith Richards or Frank Sinatra and Eric Church and Justin Moore. And I mean, I could literally name David Allen Coe wrote Jack Daniels. If you please, he wrote Tennessee whiskey. He, he, there are so many songs that have branded Jack Daniels and Jack Daniels never had to pay for that shows you how influential and inspirational the brand was and I don't think that somebody would just say it if they didn't mean it they would not write it just because it rhymed because a lot of the songs don't rhyme when Eric sings about Jack it's not just because it rhymes with back or another word it's it's because the quality the culture the people and what Jack Daniel stands for in the history of America and the history of the world I just don't think that people could sugarcoat that or do it deliberately with, without having it in their soul and passion and love for the brand. I just, I don't see that. I mean, I'm not saying that there's a songwriter out there that doesn't just throw Jack in there, but for somebody like Keith Richards or Frank to say what they say when they're on stage about it, I just don't see him doing that. And they're not being paid to do it. Most celebrity <laughs> endorsements from Shaq to LeBron to you, you name it. And Jeff Gordon, the NASCAR guys to Ricky Bobby. I mean, they, he was so funny when he said, if you don't chew big red, then you know what? So like, it's right. like people would, they're, they're not getting paid to say any of this. Yeah. It's, That's crazy to me. It, it is. But you know, I think there, there's a, there's a thread of authenticity in that. You know, if you just, if you get a Google image search, of you know Jack Daniels and rock and roll, and I've never done this. I'm making it up, but you can only imagine then the pictures of these musicians over the decades, and absolutely the epitome of cool. Like there will never not be a picture if it's whoever Jimmy Page or whoever it was in those old pictures that is classic cool and will never not be classic cool. And quite honestly, you, you you couldn't pay for that, right? And I mean, and it was, and the fact that you know, he didn't care at the time, whoever that was, and it was just about, hey, this is great whiskey. This is what I drink backstage or on stage or whatever. So, um, we have benefited, you know, so much from that. There's no. Have you ever it. seen it happen with another brand? I mean, there's the Harley Davidson out there that that you see Harley, and people get it tattooed, and they wear the T-shirts, and they're in, they're iconic. The Playboy Bunny at one time with Hugh Hefner, they say that that was another one of the tattoos that was up there for brands. Um, but have you ever personally seen a brand influence that rock god or that cool guy or that cool girl, that vibe, that image? I don't know if any other brand in the world has. I mean, I know there was Michael Jordan. And when you saw that slam dunk from the free throw line and, right. and heard, you know, swish or you better eat your Wheaties and stuff like that. Michael Jordan was amazing, right? That he was amazing, but this is a brand. This isn't Michael Jordan talking. This isn't Jack Daniels sitting up there going, "Drink my whiskey." This is a brand. Like I don't know if there's ever been another one that has that where so many people 
are wanting to express their feelings and passion and love for it. I don't know if there really are. I, you know, I don't know that there is either. I, I can tell you that, you know, in, in my role here in the last seven years or so, eight years at the distillery, I've been able to travel all over the country. And I, I can tell you that um, I've seen in, in places where I couldn't really communicate with people with language, you know, young man behind the bar would roll up his sleeve and there would be that old number seven uh, right there on his arm. And, and it's an amazing thing. And I just get, I get blown away, you know, every time something like that happens because people connect to our whiskey. They connect to our brand, whether it's through music, you know, whether it's through just American pop culture, whatever it is in the history and knowing that, you know what, every drop was made by some of the same family. We have family members that can trace their, you know, ancestors that were here making whiskey with Jack Daniel literally and they're still here making our whiskey today and i think that's what it's all about you know it's a real product from a real place made by real people when you start to think about your days as you know working you mentioned mr jeff arnett who was the master distiller preceding you tell me about lexi how special she is, what this means to the industry, what this means to a a 15-year-old, 18-year-old, 21-year-old woman out there. Um, It hasn't been done before um, at this level from what I've known. You might be able to educate me on that. But what does she bring to the table? Why does she earn that position? How did she earn that position? Why does she deserve to be put into that for the first time in Jack Daniels history, there's a female that's going to be your assistant. What is her title, first of all, Chris? Assistant distiller. Assist. So she's right under you. So mm-hmm. she's her and you are building the whiskeys that are going to be bottled by Jack Daniels. Absolutely, absolutely. What does she bring to the table? <laughs> well, first of all, she's just a dang good whiskey maker. You know, first and foremost, she has been in that distillery. I mean, and has learned the process from start to finish, from the ground up. And so to me, you know, I think I, I've, I've said the word authenticity a lot in this last hour, how long are we, however long we've been talking. And with Lexi, she started working here about eight years ago, started as a temporary employee even in our R&D or in our quality control lab, excuse me. And so, you know, kind of learning, you know, basic instrumentation, you know, kind of basic, you know, this is how we taste for quality and consistency, what we want. From there, she wanted to get, she wanted to get her hands dirty. She wanted in the distillery. You know, she wanted in there when it's July and, you know, we've got cookers that are, you know, cooking that mash at over 200 degrees and stills running at 200 degrees. And, I mean, you know, hot, sweaty, dirty work. She said, bring it on. And that is what Lexi is bringing into this role. And so for the last six years, she's done a fantastic job as a distiller, as a Jack Daniels whiskey maker, um, into where she worked herself into a lead um, in a, within our distillery. She was basically a shift lead um, overseeing the production of our whiskey day in and day out. You know, we can produce over 100,000 gallons of whiskey a day. She was coming in hands-on supervising you know, had her thumb on the entire process. And so to have that kind of experience through the stillhouse, she's earned her stripes. There's no question about that. Uh, you can go over there and ask any of the other folks that are working in the distillery too, um, and they'll they'll agree with me. I can promise you on that because she knows that place inside and out. So really, it was a, it was an easy decision. You know, when I when I was fortunate enough when 
when when Jeff resigned and, and you know I was given the opportunity to step into this role, um, Lexi was the very first person in my head that I wanted on you know right here with me on the team, making sure that we're moving forward in the right ways. And so I couldn't be more excited. And you know, secondly, beyond all that, she's she's just an awesome person. I know you're going to talk to her later. Um, she's she's a local local girl. Uh, grew up working here in town. You know, uh, waiting tables at down here at the old Iron Kettle restaurant on the corner, um, you know, as, as a young person. And then, you know, went to school, went, studied agriculture. She brings a wealth of knowledge as well when it comes to, you know, the history of, you know, raising corn here in this area and in Tennessee. And we've got, we've kind of got our hands into a lot of different things and the kind of looking, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of looking at your past and what can you learn then as you look towards the future and innovation. Um, and so she's going to be a key player in the innovation process as well. And as you know, we've got a lot of new things coming down the line from the distillery in the coming months and years. And so, Are you allowed to let any out of the bag? Well, you know, the, the big ones right now that we've got going are our single barrel special releases. Um, and so I think we've, we've still got a little bit of our latest rye single barrel barrel proof. Um, there's a there's a handful of bottles I think left in our uh, gift shop here at the distillery. So I need to get one. You of need them. to head that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, we better head that way sooner than later. I think they're literally down to like 20 bottles. Really? Uh, and they'll be gone. They'll be gone forever. So those our single barrel special releases. We we did a couple of releases of what we call the heritage barrel, um, which is a really kind of heavy toast with a very light char onto that barrel to really bring the more toasty flavors, the sweet flavors out into the whiskey. Um, you know that was named number three whiskey in the world by a couple of different publications um, and really kind of got the eyeballs um, looking into our Jack Daniels single barrel products, um, which, you know, to me is some of, I love single barrel products because you get a little bit of variation. You kind of get to experience what we can as distillers if we go up to the barrel house and we're going to taste different barrels with a single barrel expression, you're not mixing any two barrels together, right? So, so for old number seven, we're going to mix more like 200 barrels together. Because, right, we, we can't have any flavor variation with old number seven. With single barrel, you're going to get a little variation. You're going to have some that are a little sweeter, some that are a little spicier. It's just all about how that barrel aged. Um, and so, you know, the, the special release single barrel that, barrels that we've been doing are to try to push the envelope a little farther with that heritage barrel, with the barrel-proof rye that we've done. Um, we're starting to work on what's going to be coming for the fall. Um, we're not quite there yet, but we're working on it. One of, one of the other lines that we're doing, though, is called the Tennessee Tasters, which is sold here mostly at the distillery as well, but it is available through the state of Tennessee. And that that's truly our experimental line. We did we did a release last year. We, we brought in some wood from Jamaica. Um, it's called Pimento Wood otherwise known as Jamaican allspice wood. So here in Tennessee, I, I, when I saw pimento, I said, guys, I don't think we can put that on the label. If we put pimento on the label, they'll think we put cheese, cheese. in the whiskey. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> this, cheese. This is, this is Tennessee. Yeah. Um, but um, th- that wood, that type of wood, it really grows more like a shrub down in the islands. And it's what they use to do to smoke the chicken and do the jerk chicken. Uh, so it really has this interesting kind of clove, smoky, sweet spice that, that goes along with it. And so we literally, we toasted that in our ovens and we, we broke it up into small pieces. So where we could, we busted the bungs out of about 50 barrels and inserted and then resealed those barrels and put them back away for, I think it was 
pretty close to a whole nother year that they set with that allspice wood in it. And so it just it just macerated and picked up all those sweet, smoky, spicy flavors from that allspice wood. And, you know, that that's, you know, one of the most one of my most favorite things to do. Even though they're small, they're usually thirty to fifty barrels at a time. Um, you know, that's where we can really start pushing things and, and putting things out there that, that maybe start to push the limits. And, and and then we can take that and learn from that and then see, well, you know, could we do this as maybe a special single barrel down the road or, you know, maybe not. Maybe it didn't work out the way we want, but that's all that's all kind of part of the experimentation and not everything's going to be a home run. So tomorrow you and I are going to take place in what we call a barrel selection single barrel it's a program here to where you can come to lynchburg tennessee i actually did one last year with jeff arnett over zoom where they bottled three you might have been a part of that where they bottled three or four and sent them to me and then i narrowed it down um it's a program that you offer to where somebody can come here take place and they will you know narrow it down and then pick the choose the barrel that they want and then they will receive that entire barrel all the bottles that come out of that barrel they get that barrel they get that barrel head engraved with their name each barrel comes with a a personal engraved tag around the neck a a, a medallion or whatever you will if you will that hangs from the neck of the single barrel bottle what can i expect tomorrow now that i've done one with jeff arnett do you have an idea of what warehouse we're going to choose a few out of the which storage facility they're coming from have you given any thought of this yet or do you wake up tomorrow morning on a regular wednesday and just wing it and say oh i know i pretty much know that guy is a duck hunter i got i kind of have an idea of what he's going to like i'm going to go here i'm going to go there and i'm going to go here how does it work well, it's kind of a, co- a combination of the two. It's somewhere in the middle there. So we're going to have a pool of barrels that we know are going to hit single barrel quality. So I'm not going to just randomly, blindly go out and pull. First of all, to become a single barrel Jack Daniels product, you're only looking at about 1% of our total inventory that will ever qualify to be a single barrel whiskey. So that, that narrows our focus. So our single barrels only come from the top floor of the barrel house. Um, because you, that we don't cycle houses here, we don't we don't heat them up in the winter and we don't cool them down in the summer. And so what what you're going to get then is that natural heating and cooling and that cycle on the top floor is going to be a lot more intense, right? So in the summer it's well over 100 degrees up there, and that's going to really drive the whiskey to expand into the pores of the wood and pull more color and more flavor out of that, which is what you want because with single barrel you want that unique kind of thumbprint of each barrel flavor and aroma to be put on there. So we have already pre-selected barrels that we know are going to meet our quality control, what we want to say the box of single barrel that it's going to fit in. Now, some are going to be sweeter, spicier, oaky, or whatever, and we'll make sure we'll go in and we'll have a nice little range between that three or four that we, we have, because I don't want... I want people when they come in and they go through this process, even you've picked before, you know, and you know the flavor of Jack Daniels whiskey, right? You're not going to need me to lead you through that and explain, okay, this is what this is. But I like to have that variation on the table because you never know when that light bulb might come off and say, that is really different. That is really unique. You know, this is the one that speaks to me. That That's the whole point of being able to do this. You know, not necessarily picking what what you think your your friends would want back home or, or, or you know, whatever it would be. It would be suddenly, you know, you think I like whiskey on that sweeter side, but you come across this one spicy barrel that you just, you can't get it out of your brain because you tried it and 
I'm, you know, that's where I want to go. And so that that's what it will be. We're going to try to have two, three different, three or four different flavor profiles for you to go through. And, and typically people are pretty amazed when they sit down and they taste them side by side like that. You know, when they really start tasting and thinking about what it is and slowing down, they really start to tease out those unique flavors in each of the whiskeys. And you'll taste with me? Sure. Jeff did, and I think that we nailed it. We both picked the uh, 67 was the was the last two digits in my okay. barrel number. Okay. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was like one of the biggest thrills of my life to be able to do that with the Master Distiller. That's a really cool program. It is. And it's been, you know, accepted in such a vast, you know, you could be a homeowner, you could be a hotel owner, you could be an entrepreneur that yeah. might want to give away a bottle at Christmas to each of your biggest clients. It's it's an awesome program. You get personalized, like I said, with your name on them. There's even play, you know, even services by Jack Daniels and local liquor shops or, you know, retail locations where you can go get them personally engraved and, and have a really cool gift to give to somebody or a thank you or whatever it is. So I'm excited for that. Speaking of Jeff Arnett again, back to my questions about Lexi with you, what was that phone call like from Jeff Arnett when he heard the news? Did he already know when he was departing that you were going to be his predecessor? Um, how does it work out? Um, is that the right word, predecessor? You're taking over for Jeff Arnett? Is that the wrong word or right word? Successor. Pre- Successor, uh, predecessor. Close enough. I, okay, something. <laughs> but how does that go? Is, I mean, he's got to be excited, right? That you're, Is he fired up and excited for you? Yeah. Uh, Jeff is a great friend of mine, you know, first and foremost. And, and I've known Jeff for 20 years. And, uh, you know, he started in with the company um, as a quality control manager when I was, you know, in R&D as a chemist. And so, you know, our, our, we overlapped on a lot of different things going on here at the distillery for many, many, many years. Uh, and then to be able to work for him directly for, you know, over six years was was amazing. Um, you know, he's a he's a great, a great friend, will continue to be a great friend. And, um, you know, he was certainly very influential, you know, with me coming, coming back to Lynchburg. You know, I was living up in Kentucky at the time. Um, and so, you know, I certainly – um, owe a lot to Jeff, uh, for sure. He was always an open book and an open door. Um, you know, I, I was very surprised when he decided to, to step away and, um, and no, there was no, to answer your question directly. No, there was no direct plan that, that I would be the next master distiller here. Um, I was just, you know, fortunate and I tried to work really, really hard and do a good job in my role as assistant master distiller, you know, working for him. Um, but we have a lot of great distillers here and we've already mentioned Lexi, um, but we have, a, we really have, you know, the best team of whiskey makers um, in the industry. And that, that's what makes Jack Daniels what it is. That's what puts that liquid in that bottle, the consistency, the quality day in and day out. It's the people. And so, um, no, I was not the only one considered for sure, um, but I was the most fortunate at the end of the day. And so it's something that I don't take lightly um, and something that, you know, I, I plan to be here making whiskey for a long, long time. So if it's Saturday afternoon at the Chris Fletcher residence, you have two bone-in ribeyes on your grill. What are you pairing with it in, out of a Jack Daniels family of whiskeys? Oof, it's hard to go wrong uh, with with either of those. Uh, I'm a big fan of the single barrel. I really am um, because I, you know, to me, it's interesting sometimes to find, like I was saying earlier, you're going to get to taste three or four different samples, and you, you're going to find that one sometimes that speaks to you that really catches you by surprise. And that's the fun part of single barrel whiskey. So I like to, you know, at the end of the day, as much as we control, 
you know, those barrels and how they age, Mother Nature is eventually going to win, right? She's going to put her stamp on it that, that we cannot control or else every single barrel would taste identical. Um, and we know that doesn't, doesn't ring true at all. You can have barrels side by side that were put in on the same day and have been sitting there for 10 years side by side, and they taste, you know, remarkably different after 10 years. It's, it's something else. Um, and so, you know, single barrel is always one I go to um, for, for cocktails and for mixing that old number seven is just, you know. It's, On the rock single barrel you're going to have with the bone-in ribeye. Yeah. Single barrel, two cubes. So Friday night with the pool table, dartboards going, you're in your man cave with six of your college buddies. <laughs> is it Jack and Coke? What, what are you mixing with? What is the master distiller drink on a party night? If you uh, have one with a newborn, you're not going to have many of these for a while. <laughs> um, you know, honestly, just on the rocks again. Really? Yeah. So is it against the, is it, is it a faux pas? Is it, what's the right word? Is it bad omen <laughs> yeah. to mix Jack Daniels? Like Jack and Coke is like probably the most famous drink of all time. Even though if you look up the most popular drinks of all time, the margarita is number one. And I'm like, I just don't see it. I don't buy it. I mean, I know Mexican restaurants, you drink some margaritas, but it says it's the, I'm just not buying that. I would say for sure, it's got to be the most recognized cocktail worldwide is the Jack and Coke. I'm probably a little bit presumptuous on that, maybe a little bit biased, but is it bad to mix Jack Daniels? Not at all. No, absolutely. Hey, if you're going to spend your money on it, you go out and you're, you're hard earned, you know, um, you know, check, you spend your money on Jack Daniels whiskey, you drink it however you like it. Again, the only wrong way to do it is not to do it responsibly. So, you know, just that's what we'll always remind our friends. And, um, you know, Jack and Coke, there is something to that cocktail. There is no doubt about it. Um, it mixes very, very well. I prefer my whiskey on the rocks. Um, my grandfather taught me that. Um, you know, his theory was that if you, if you ordered it like a Jack and water, that they wouldn't give you as good of a pour. You wouldn't get your money's worth. So if you order it just on the rocks and let the ice melt for a couple of minutes, that was his secret um, <laughs> was his in secret order to, to let them top off their shot there on, over the over the ice. Um, so I guess I get that from my granddad, among other things. But, um, yeah, you know, honestly, in the summertime, you know, a, you know, fresh lemonade with some Jack Daniels. I mean, that's kind of our Lynchburg lemonade, our kind of whiskey sour twist kind of a cocktail is is fantastic. This rye whiskey here, I, I, I would tell you, I mean, it is one of the most unique rye whiskeys on the market. I, it just has that really unique balance of spice and sweet. It pairs well with with classic cocktails, old fashions, Manhattans, Sazeracs, any type of you know classic long whiskey cocktail. Our rye whiskey is just amazing um, uh, for that. I started drinking it like a year ago, and I was I'm hooked on it. The rye is truly incredible, and I want to do another podcast where we get into more of the science of the differences and and you know what is going on you know between a you know, get educated on what the difference between a, a whiskey, a Tennessee whiskey, a Canadian whiskey, a bourbon is, a Scotch whiskey, an Irish whiskey. There's a lot to choose from when you go into a liquor store, Chris Fletcher. There's a lot. There it's is. overwhelming. And then you have the mindset of, well, I'm a collector and I want the cool labels. And um, it might not even drink that well. It might not pair that well, but it looks cool on my bar. I'm going to have a variation of it. Um, there's nothing wrong with collecting. There's a, there's the, the mystique of pappies and, and, and the, you know, the, the allocations of pappies and what drives what you see on the internet about some of those whiskeys. Um, there's a lot of 
whiskeys out there. There's a lot of spirits out there being produced. It's a big market. Like I said, it can be overwhelming if you don't educate yourself or figure out what your taste really is or what your like really is. And I'm not saying that Jack Daniels is the only one out there, but to cut down on that feeling of overwhelmness, it's so consistent to go to it and say, the taste is there. The quality is there all the time. And the reason why is what we just discussed for the last hour and 20 minutes happens right here in Lynchburg, Tennessee. We haven't even gotten into the water source. We haven't gotten into what really, what is sour mash and what the process is of the mash. I mean, I've been staying up here at barbecue hill and I drive by it and I'm like, it's like cereal. It's like mm-hmm. oatmeal. It's yeah. like sweet. You don't want to like the smell, but the more you drive back and forth to my, to my airstream, I'm like, man, I love that smell. It's just, I, I want to get into all that, man. But what you've accomplished in, in such a short time is, is awesome. So congrats on that. It's very cool to see how humble, humbling you are, or humbled you are by it, but you're a very humble person. You give a lot of credit to your team. You understand that you can't do this on your own. This brand is way bigger than Chris Fletcher will ever be. You can never put yourself before the old number seven or what Mr. Daniels did. And with his family members, Mr. Daniel did not Mr. Daniels, Mr. Daniel did, but it's truly incredible, man. Congratulations. And this place is, I mean, to be born and raised here and now living out your dream of a chemist to the master distiller at Jack Daniels. What a cool ass career, bro. Congrats. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Any closing words? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm so, so glad you guys are here in Lynchburg for a few days and having a good time and getting to, getting to experience. You know, I know that we've been in the world of Zoom calls. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. And, and we're slowly getting out of that. I'm so excited um, to be able to get back out and about myself. So, um, you know, welcome to Lynchburg. Welcome to my hometown. And on behalf of all our whiskey makers here, uh, we hope you have a great visit. And then we're sure you're going to taste some great whiskey. Thank you, my man. Yeah, Appreciate you. Take care. Absolutely. That's Chris Fletcher, master distiller, Jack Daniels, Lynchburg, Tennessee, the old number seven. So iconic. It's our title sponsor here at This Life Ain't For Everybody. And we couldn't be more proud to be part of the Jack Daniels family, the culture. Everything about this place is just on a different level. If you get the chance, visit Lynchburg. But like Chris talked about, what he reiterated, enjoy Jack Daniels responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. We are so proud that Jack Daniels believes in what we're doing here at This Life Ain't For Everybody in the Foul Life. Thank you again for downloading and subscribing to the podcast. We'll be back at you with another episode soon. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This is Leith Lofton. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? We're all equal, that's what I think. I don't believe heaven has a bank. Make good use of your time on earth and don't make a dollar bill all this world. Cause I'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich as hell without a soul. Life on earth won't last too long.